Good morning, Christ City. This morning, we're going to continue our study in our Christology series by looking more at Jesus yet again. See, in Jesus, we see God himself. In Jesus, more than anywhere else in this created world uh, or anywhere else at all, we see who God is. God reveals himself to us most clearly and fully only in Jesus. That's what John is getting at in John chapter 1, verse 18, when he writes a verse that we used and looked at last week when he writes this in 118. No one has ever seen God. The only God, it's Jesus Christ, the word of God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus Christ became human and came to us that we might know God. There's a really awesome quote by a theologian named Michael Reeves I want to share with you. He says this about this Jesus. He says, There is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. We're looking at Jesus in this series to come to know God in his fullness, to see what he's like, to understand who he is and what his heart beats after. And this morning, we're going to look in particular at who Jesus is as creator and how he reveals to us who God the creator is as we look at Jesus in particular. And my prayer as we do this is this. My prayer is that we will come to see Jesus the creator, to see his love for us, his creation, to delight in that love, to see it, to admire the beauty of it, and to be drawn then in love to him in return and to walk in obedience to him in his created world. We're going to do that by looking primarily at John chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. And we'll just have two points as we go through. Number one, we're going to look at the way that Jesus made all things. Number two, we're going to look at his unstoppable life. So look at with me then at our first point, all things in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. John writes, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Did you catch that? In verse 3, John says, All things were made through him. All things. It's an all-encompassing statement about all of reality. And Jesus standing behind it as a creator of all of it. And yet it's true though, isn't it, that in Vancouver, uh, you may have noticed that this is not the dominant view of reality that is. In fact, we live in a, a world, in a culture, where numerous competing ideas and conceptions of that reality are all around us. But what I want you to see, Christ City, this morning, is that none of those ideas of reality that are in contrast to the Bible, none of them are neutral. Each of these big ideas has big consequences for how we understand ourselves within created reality. So I want to take a little bit of time this morning to do something a little different. I want to walk through uh, here initially three different understandings of the reality that we are in that are common in Vancouver and then come back and contrast what John is saying here and the Christian view of reality as Jesus and the creator of all things. So number one, One of the main views that that we see here in Vancouver as a conception of all of reality is called atheistic materialism. And it's a view that just says simply that matter, the stuff of this created world, is all that there is. There's there's nothing else. 
The matter has always been and always will be, and that's really all that there is. If you can see it and touch it and smell it, it's there and it's existed for forever. And this view has been uh, it's kind of summarized well by Bill Nye, of course, Bill Nye the science guy, who says, we are just a speck on a speck, orbiting a speck, in the corner of the speck, in the middle of nowhere. That's Bill Nye. And another view, the second view I want to look at, is a view called pantheism. This is a view of reality that sometimes can be atheistic and sometimes can, can be very uh, believing in a, in a deity. But this view understands reality and us as basically one part of an enormous and interconnected whole, where our individuality kind of gets swallowed up in the oneness of all things, an eternal oneness, an ever-changing thing. That in some views is, is the God, that we're all part of a one God that exists as a created world, and in other views uh, doesn't believe in a God at all. There's a philosopher named Spinoza who commented on this and said, we are part of nature as a whole, whose order we follow. But maybe more familiar is Pocahontas. And she said this, she said, the rainstorm and the river are my brothers. The heron and the otter are my friends. And we are all connected to each other in a circle and in a hoop that never ends. And then lastly, the third view that I think is very common in Vancouver that we're going to consider is this view called deism. And we don't often think about this word deism, but I think this viewpoint is around all over the place. And it's this idea that all that is, is actually something that's been created. But it's created by an unknowing or an unknowable God who sort of left the building. I mean, maybe there's a God out there. Maybe he made us, but he doesn't really have anything to do with us. He doesn't care about us and doesn't expect us to care about him. It's a really good quote about deism, this perspective, uh, by Benjamin Franklin, actually, who was himself a deist. And he says, I cannot conceive otherwise than that he, the infinite father, that's, that's his idea of God, his conception of God, that he expects or requires no worship or praise from us, but that he is even infinitely above it. Now, what I want you to see is that each of these views of looking at the world, each of these perspectives of reality, that it has significant consequences about how we think of ourselves within reality. Ideas have consequences and big ideas have big consequences. Let's look at some of those consequences and what it means about what they say about who we are. So what does atheism then say about who we are as humanity? Well, if all that there is is matter, then what do we really matter? We're a speck on a speck on a speck on a speck in the middle of nowhere, according to Bill Nye. Our lives don't ultimately matter at all. We'll be forgotten in just a few years, and nothing that we say or do matters one bit. There's one atheistic author whose name is Mark Manson, and he writes about this in his book, and he calls it The Uncomfortable Truth. He actually talks about the scenario before I get to this quote about how he would like to, to, rather than write your name on the Starbucks cup, he'd actually like to write this uncomfortable truth in its place and hand it to you to confront you with the reality that he thinks uh, uh, about ourselves. And he says this, this is the uncomfortable truth. As one day you and everyone you love will die. Starts pretty cheery. And beyond a small group of people for an extremely brief period of time, little of what you say or do will even matter. This is the uncomfortable truth of life. And everything you think or do is but an elaborate avoidance of it. We are inconsequential cosmic dust, bumping and milling about on a tiny blue speck. We imagine our own importance. We invent our purpose. We 
are nothing. It's a pretty sobering view of reality. Alternatively, though, we can look at pantheism. What does pantheism say about who we are and its view of reality? Well, pantheism says that you and I are part of this ever-changing oneness. And on one hand, of course, that's somewhat correct. We are made of the same stuff. We're part of an interconnected civilization across this globe. But if all we are is really just changing parts of the oneness of all things, then that means something about who we are in a pretty profound way. It means that your distinctiveness, you, right now where you're sitting in your living room, your distinctiveness as a person doesn't matter. You as a person with your own mind and desires and emotions and dreams, you don't matter. You get lost in the midst of the wholeness. You and the mosquito or the blade of grass are one. There's not much difference. You don't matter more than mosquito. You don't matter less than a piece of grass or more than a piece of grass. So do you hurt? <laughs> do you have joy? Do you have reasons to celebrate? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you good? Are you evil? Do you do well? Do you do poorly? Do you hurt your neighbor? Are you kind to your friend? Are you flourishing or are you suffering? What does it matter? You're part of this ever-changing whole that gives and receives and does good and does evil. And none of it really, in the end, matters in its distinctiveness in who you are as a person. You get lost in the whole. And then finally, deism. What does deism say about who we are? Well, deism says that we are the creation of a father God who doesn't much care for us. He's left us alone to fend for ourselves. And I think the implication is that we have some serious separation anxiety as his creatures because we're here on our own trying to create our own purpose and figure out our own way because dad left us alone a long time ago. But in contrast to all of that, I want you to think about the Christian view of creation. What does the Bible say? John says in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, that God, through Jesus, made all things. And the full teaching of the Bible is that the triune God created in unity, that God the Father spoke through Jesus the Son, and that by the Holy Spirit all was made. This God that eternally pre-existed in love and happiness and glory overflowed in his love and poured himself out to create a world and to draw us into his own glory and his own love. This means a few things. I want you to think for a moment about uh, the reality of the Christian point of view of, of creation and reality and contrast it with what we've talked about already. In contrast to atheism, this says that Jesus' pre-existence is something that, that is distinct from and pre-exists the created world. Uh, he existed before matter, and he created and he sustains matter. In contrast to the oneness of pantheism, the biblical doctrine of creation says that Jesus is not his creation. God is not his creation. He's distinct from and separate from his creation. He does not depend on it and is not part of it, but it depends on him, and he is within it. In contrast to deism, the doctrine of creation says that Jesus is a sovereign Lord and ruler of all, and that he is not distant and far away from us, but is actually present within the created world by his love and his authority and his power. I love the way that Psalm 139 verses 8 to 10 say this. There we read, 
If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. This is a picture of a God who loves his creation and has not left the building, but is present everywhere within it. See, Christianity teaches that the creation is not meaningless, but that it has infinite meaning and value because of the God who created it and who loves it and who sustains it. I want you to stop for a moment. I'm not sure that you've ever sat back and thought to yourself, what does Jesus think about his creation? But I want you to do that with me. What does Jesus think about this world that you live in right now? Well, Jesus loves it. He loves the richness of the soil. Many of you are gardening right now and and you love watching things grow. Jesus loves it every bit as much as you do and far more. He loves the smell of the trees and the spray of the ocean. Jesus loves the bodies that he has given us and created for us. He loves your body the way that he's made it big or small or soft or hard. He made your senses. He made your hands to touch. He made your nose to smell, your eyes to see, your ears to hear, your tongue to taste. And he made all the things that are in this world that we find beautiful and pleasurable and delight in. And he made them for our enjoyment as one who enjoys them as well. And he made all the things that we even don't find all that enjoyable. Things like maybe our bowels that we prefer not to think about. Or the nerves in our teeth that we don't like thinking about unless we're at the dentist and can't stop thinking about. He made those worms in the dirt when I dig with my son in the sands of the tide at Spanish banks. He calls them the nasty wormies. I call them nasty wormies. But he made them and he loves them and he's proud of the work of his hands. And yet, at the apex of all of this creation, God created humankind in his image. He loves us chief of all. And in the Psalms, David writes not just of God's love for his creation in general, but in his love in particular for us. It's a beautiful passage in Psalm 8, verses 3 to 5. David says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, you can imagine him lying on his back looking up at the stars. When I see the moon and the stars that you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You see, looking at the stars as an atheist or a deist or a pantheist, it tells you that you're infinitely small and that you don't matter. Looking at the stars as a Christian, tells you that God has set his heart in love on you despite your smallest, but that all of this created world was so that we could exist within it and be objects of his love, to be brought into fellowship with him. It shows us that God has fixed his eyes on us in love, and we marvel that he would love such small and frail and sinful creatures of us. Grace said, if you haven't followed any of this so far, I want you to hear this. Jesus Christ created you. He made you. 
He loves you and he thinks that you are beautiful. So what does this mean for us then? Let's talk about Jesus as a creator. Well, it means that the created world profoundly belongs to Jesus. It's his world. We are his as his people. There's a theologian named Michael Reeves. I already quoted him once in the introduction, but he wrote a fantastic little book called Rejoicing in Christ. I highly recommend that book to you. You should go and buy it and read it. It's very, very good. And in that book, he writes this. He says, many Christians have the sneaking suspicion that while Jesus is a savior, he's not really the creator of all. So they sing of his love on a Sunday, and there it is true. But walking home through the streets, past the people and the places where real life goes on, they don't feel it is Christ's world. As if the universe is a neutral place. As if Christianity is just something we have smeared on top of real life. Jesus is reduced to being little more than a comforting nibble of spiritual chocolate, an imaginary friend who saves souls, but not much else. But Christ City, this is not who Jesus is. Jesus isn't a God who will let you shove him to the margins of your life. He's a God who commands your obedience and your love because you are his. You are his. And you live in a world that is his. And not the other way around. Before you get all hot and bothered because you aren't your own, and that upsets us sometimes, I think, I want you to realize this. The fact is that we in our sin have rejected God who is life. We've turned away from him. But belonging to him is to come to understand that our life, our joy, what we were made for is to belong to him and to know his life and his love. He's calling us home to where we belong. And flourishing will only come by knowing Jesus and joyfully submitting to him as a creator of all in every part of our lives. But destruction will be with us. It will come to us as we rebel against him and his glorious purposes for his own creation. We are his. I want to turn now, though, to our second and last point, unstoppable life. And I want to ask the question, where does life come from? Well, according to atheism, it sort of just happens. According to deism, it came from a God who's distant and not part of this world. According to pantheism, uh, life is just this eternal web of all things and this oneness that's existed for forever. But according to Christianity, John writes in chapter John, in John chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life. In Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. You see, the Bible's claim is that life comes from God, who alone has life in himself. And that life became human in the person of Jesus and walked this earth and revealed himself to us. This life, Jesus, John says, is the light of men. Life come to earth to draw us into his eternal life. Christ City, I want you to see that Jesus as the one who has life in himself, that he, life with a capital L, has a narrative arc. 
The narrative arc goes in four stages. First, he pre-existed as the life. Father, Son, and Spirit in eternal, happy, loving, life-filled existence before all things. Step two, creation out of the overflow of his heart of love and out of the life that is in himself, he created all things. Step three, humanity in our rebellion rejects his life. There's a fall. And yet even still, God in his mercy sustains our lives. You see, Christ, the Bible teaches that mankind in sin has turned away from obedience to God and has been separated from his life as a result, from the true life of union with God. And because of that, we've reaped death. Death has entered this world. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this way. It says it this way. Paul writes, he says, Sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. This is the consequences of the fall and the brokenness uh, in the story, in the narrative arc of life. And yet God in his love, what does he do? Well, he faithfully continues to sustain the created world, even though we don't worship him, even though we don't give thanks for all that he's given us, even though we don't honor him because of his tender care and his mercies towards us. God still sustains us. Jesus still, even today, upholds the universe in a fallen world by the word of his power, according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus still blesses us with sunshine and harvest and beauty and joy and physical pleasures and sights and smells that captivate us, that intrigue us, that cause us to delight and to enjoy them, even in their imperfect state, even while broken and suffering under death. And yet step four is this beautiful step in the narrative of life. The step four is the redemption and the renewal of all things. That God, out of his love for his created world, would step into it to recreate it and to renew it and to make it whole. To draw it back to himself. Despite our sin, God, who has life in himself, became human and stepped into our human existence to die as a human in our place to redeem us to his life. The 4th century Christian, St. Augustine, he writes of this this way. This is beautiful. He said, Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. Why? Christ City, he did it out of love for his creation and in order to bring life to a world in death. Jesus is the life. He created life. He sustains life. He was made human life to bear the punishment for human sin in order to redeem our lives. Darkness cannot overcome the life of Christ Jesus. And he will one day soon, through that life, renew all that is broken and overwhelm this world with his perfect, eternal life. As God says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, Behold, I am making all things new. In Christ City, as we conclude, I want you to think about this. 
There was a time in the early church where this, there's, a, uh, there's a, a very popular philosophy that was called Gnosticism, and then it was everywhere and influenced the way that people think about the things that we're talking about today. And basically that philosophy taught that, that matter on the one hand was evil, but that spiritual things were good. And this philosophy, philosophy, it influenced how people then came and interpreted the Bible and talked about the things that we're talking about today. And through Gnosticism, people began thinking that God's purposes of renewal were to bring us to a life that was spiritual, merely spiritual, but not physical. And I want to talk about this right now because I think one of our issues might be that some of us think still very Gnostic thoughts about the things we're talking about today. I think many of us have this notion that heaven is just us sort of spirited away to a less concrete existence somewhere that's happier, somewhere that's less physical and more spiritual. But the story of Jesus, who is our creator and sustainer and redeemer and renewer, it shows us that our God delights. He delights in the physical world that he has made. One of my favorite authors, his name's N.D. Wilson, he writes about this beautifully when he says this. He asks the question, Do you think that your hands will not blister in heaven? Do you think that your body, that flesh that now holds you back, will finally be put away and you will be free to listen to an eternal concert from the comfort of an ethereal massage chair? Will you have a harp and sit on a cloud? No. You will be given a new body, a better body, a body that won't break down or decay under its labor. This body that houses you now, it is but a vapor to the flesh that waits for you. When Christ rose, he rose in the flesh. He was no ghost, and yet he walked through walls. The walls were the ghosts, and so are we. We are children when it comes to labor, when it comes to love when it comes to shaping this world. See, the life that God is bringing will not be less physical, it will be more in its perfection and its renewedness in his life. Look, Christ City, Jesus, the creator who is life, he shows us God's commitment to redeem and to renew in life, a physical world by coming to it. Jesus shows us God's commitment to this physical world. Jesus, our creator, he came to us. God became human to walk our streets and shed human blood for our sin. His sacrifice shows us that God's heart is for his created world and that it is set on the physical renewal of you and I and this world. So Christ City, when you hike, when you run, when you climb, when you swim, when you cycle, you do so in the world that Jesus delights in, that he created. And you do it with a body that he designed for infinite joy and for pleasure within the created world. 
When you taste, when you touch, when you smell and hear and see, you do so with the senses that Jesus has designed for joy in a world that bears just a shadowy reflection of the pleasure that he is calling you towards and drawing you towards in his eternal life. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus is drawing us to that life. So how do we respond to this? I think we respond with worship. Christ City, do you give thanks? Do you praise God for every good and perfect gift that you enjoy in this world as he sustains your life right now? Do you rejoice and give thanks that he is drawing you towards something eternal and beautiful and good, that even now you know that life and that pleasure by the Holy Spirit as you walk in fellowship with God? But I think we can also respond with obedience. We must respond with obedience. To realize that this world is not a neutral world. That every atom belongs to Jesus. That we walk the streets in Jesus' world. Won't you see that? I'm inviting you today, come and adore and worship Jesus. Know his love. Respond in love to him that you would obey him and flourish richly as you walk with him in obedience in the world he's created. Labor for him. Sacrifice for him. Consider today who God has put in your path that he's calling you to use the body he's given you to love, to serve, and to care for. Consider what he's asking to do to use the physical world and this body he's given you to serve him, to glorify him this Sunday and into the following week.